The word that I want to draw you to your attention is found there at the beginning of verse 8. Notice these words. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. The exodus from Egypt had happened. The children of Israel are now on their long march from Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. According to verse 1, they came to a place called Rephidim. You can see that for yourself there. We've read it a couple of times. Where there was no water. So this was a crisis. This was another crisis for this redeemed people. Because of this, the people began to complain against Moses. You can see that in verse 3. What does it say? And the people thirsted there for water, for the people murmured against Moses. Moses. So they are murmuring, they're complaining against Moses. He in turn cried unto the Lord, according to verse 4, look at it again. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. This great man of God was about to be stoned by the people that he had been so good to, the people who had been redeemed by blood. And delivered from their bondage in Egypt. In response to this, God told Moses to take a staff with which he had performed many miracles in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh. Look at verse 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee all the elders. So the leader was to go along with the elders, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. So in front of the whole congregation of Israel, he was to smite a rock appointed by God. What a strange thing to be asked to do. But the thing is, Moses did not question what God asked him to do. Sometimes when God asks us to do certain things, when we think it's strange, And because of the strange, we might say to ourselves, well, can this be true? Is this really what God wants me to do? Moses responded immediately. He obeyed immediately. And he promptly obeyed and struck the rock. And guess what happened? Water gushed out to quench the thirst of the people, according to verse 6. The Lord said, behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock and horrible. This is a theophany. God said, I'm going to appear. I'm going to stand on the rock. Now, we know from the word of the Apostle Paul that Christ is the rock, but here is a a Christophany, a theophany. The Lord Jesus Christ standing on the rock as well. That's food for thought, is it not, child of God? But as they were about to break camp from Rephidim, another crisis emerged. It's a story before us in these verses 8 through 16. Uh, we're going to quote this verse again. In verse 8 we read, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel. Now I want to suggest something to you. I want to suggest that this story is an analogy of the Christian life. It's a picture of what it means to be a believer or a Christian. We like Israel have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. 
We have been delivered from the power of bondage and are on a journey with God to the promised land above. And that there's the promised land above. It's not Canaan, it's the promised land above. Because as you know, Canaan was not a place of perfect harmony. They had many battles to fight in the land of Canaan. So this is the place heaven above. The new Christian learns early on that the Christian life is not is, is not all about blessings. It also involves battles. So that's the way it is in life. It's battles as well as blessings. Let the children of Israel, like the children of Israel, we have been redeemed by the precious blood, separated unto God, brought out of bondage. We may also expect to be attacked by the enemy. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. Tonight I want to, for a little time, Concentrate upon the attack of the enemy. Has the enemy attacked you today? Did he attack you yesterday? Did he attack you in the Lord's day? Has he been busy? Has he been whispering things in your ear? Has he been tormenting you? Has he been trying to get you down and sit on you? Then came Amalek and fought with Israel. Now up to this point of time, Israel did not have to fight. For the Bible tells us in the book of Exodus 14, verse 14, even on the night of their deliverance, for the Lord fought for them. But now things have changed. And the Lord fights through them to overcome the enemy. Now the question needs to be asked, who is this enemy? Now this statement in verse 8 will not have much meaning to us until we realize the special nature of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was like no other nation. Israel stood in a special covenant relationship with God and this covenant was originally established with Abraham in the book of Genesis. It was passed down to Isaac and then to Jacob. Jacob became uh, the father of 12 sons of 12 tribes of Israel. And God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, prince of God. So when selecting Jacob as the bearer of the covenant, God bypassed his brother Esau. There was hostility, as you know, between Esau and Jacob and between Esau's descendants and the descendants of Jacob and Amalek was the grandson of Esau. Genesis chapter 36, verse 1. I think also the mention is made there in verse 12. So the Amalekites had deep-seated hatred for Israel. And this is a fulfillment of Genesis 3, verse 15. You know that verse about the seed of the woman who will be opposed by the seed of the serpent? You know that? It's a fulfillment of that. And it's been going on in the world ever since. It's happening in Northern Ireland. It's happening in Korean. It's happening all over the whole country. That's the way it is. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel. Now Esau is described in Hebrews 12 verse 6 as a profane person. And the English word profane uh, comes from a Latin which means outside the temple. That, that's significant. That is the unhallowed and common ground outside the consecrated place where the temple stood. 
That's deeply significant because Esau was a man who lived for the world and the flesh. And he despised spiritual things, according to Hebrews 12, verse 17. So the Amalekites illustrate the opposition of the flesh. When Israel was delivered from uh, the world, from Egypt, it was a once and for all experience when they crossed the Red Sea. But the flesh can never be reformed or improved. And the truth is, God's people will always have to battle with the flesh, Amalekites, until the return of Jesus Christ. That's as simple as that. There's no way out of it, no escape from it. That's the way life is. That's it. It's happened all the way through the Bible, even from this time before this time in the book of Genesis, all through church history, New Testament times into our time. It will continue until the Lord Jesus Christ comes himself. Now, what is the flesh, you may be asking? Well, flesh may be defined as man's fallen nature under the power of sin. It is the evil principle in man's nature. It's the traitor within who is in league with the children or the attackers without. You think about Judas in the camp of the Lord's people. But he was working and operating with the people outside that little band of disciples. So we have the traitor within each and every one of us tonight as we gather here in the place of prayer to seek the face of God. It provides tinder on which the devil's temptations can kindle. It is a built-in law of failure, making it impossible for the natural man to please or serve God. It is a compulsive inner force inherited from man's fall. It's within us, which expresses itself in general and specific rebellion against God and righteousness. And this battle lasted until the going down of the sun, verse 12, this battle with Amalek. So it was continuous. That being the case, we must expect it to be an age-long battle, verse 16. Notice what it says there. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. It's an ongoing thing. It's happening now. The old nature within us is rebelling against the things of God, shutting out the things of God, the things that God wants his people to do, trying to dissuade us, trying to discourage us, sidetrack us. So we have an idea then, I trust, some idea of who the enemy is, the Amalekites. Grandson of Esau was Amalek. These were his descendants. Speaks to us of the flesh. But then we want to think in the second place, when the enemy came. Notice that opening word of verse 8. Then came Amalek. That, that, that links it with the previous encounter the previous things in chapter 16 what, what was going on in chapter 16 well the people were fed with manna from on high that's a, that's a wonderful figure and type of Jesus Christ the bread of life verse uh, Exodus chapter 16 and then as they journeyed according to the first verse of chapter 17 and all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed 
from the wilderness of sin. So it was when they were feeding on the manna that speaks of Christ. When they were making progress, they were journeying on. According to the will of God, they were walking in the footsteps of the Lord himself. And while they were enjoying the water from the smitten rock, again, this is a wonderful type of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. The smiting of the rock typifies the smiting of Christ and the subsequent gift of the Holy Spirit to God's people. And so the people of God faced one crisis after another after they had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and crossed the Red Sea. You've got the bitter water there at Marah. You've got the lack of food in the wilderness. There's no water there. God has been meeting their needs, of course. He has provided manna. He has provided sweet water. He has provided water from the rock. Now he's going to give them victory. So the point is this. They're making progress. They're feeding. They're drinking. They're going on with God. They're meeting crisis after crisis. But God is meeting the need. And God is leading them according to his word. Now, over there in Exodus chapter 15, they came to a place called Marah. There was water there, because we read there about the waters of Marah, but the people couldn't drink of that water. Why? Because it was bitter. And you see, nothing could happen for the benefit of the people until the bitterness was dealt with. And when God dealt with the bitterness, what came? Sweetness. Blessing came. And when there's bitterness in the heart, there'll be no blessing. But when bitterness is dealt with, it will be followed by blessing. And things will become sweet again. You think about uh, the, uh, the, the case with Sarah and Hannah and Elizabeth. They were all barren. Uh, and that was a shame to women in those times. But once the barrenness was dealt with, then blessing came. Maybe we feel a little bit barren in our own souls at times. And, and we desire something more. We desire his blessing. Well, God has got to deal just the way he dealt with the bitter water. He's got to deal with the barrenness. So when God deals with the bitterness of the heart, then blessing will come. And he deals with the barrenness of life, then blessing will come. That's the order. That's God's way. That's God's order. And God is teaching us tonight in the, in the study of his word, these things are happening. Happening today. You have the movement of the people. They're journeying on. They're going on with God. They're making progress. The murmuring of the people. The people murmured against Moses. And in spite of all that, the miracle for the people, there came out water out of the rock. So when you recap these verses, uh, the previous verses, the opening seven verses, the congregation complained. The leader prayed and God intervened. And you know what happened? He did an unbelievable thing. He turned the hard thing, because a rock is a hard thing. He turned the hard thing into a means of great blessing. You may be going through a hard time now. Maybe your family's going through a hard time, a difficult time. Oh, it's hard. It's hard to really study. It's hard to pray. It's a difficult time for you. Oh, there's the thought of hardness. But the Lord, in his grace, 
can deal with that hard thing and he can bring blessing out of that hard thing when we walk with him and do his bidding and do those things pleasing and they say, this is good. This is the word of God. These little nuggets we get when we study the scriptures carefully and closely. You can through a hard time. Maybe God has some great blessing in store for you as a, an individual. Maybe God has some great blessing in store for us as a people. And we need it, don't we? We need it. We need it. We need the Lord to touch us. Paul, writing of this event, says that rock was Christ. He was smitten in order that the blood and the water might flow for redemption and regeneration. In the blood we see Calvary, while the water remains us of Pentecost. And once the work of Christ was accomplished at Calvary, then, 50 days later, the blessing of Pentecost was poured out upon the people of God. The outpouring of the Spirit of God came at the cost of redemption, the cost of the shedding of his blood. There's the blood first. There's the water, Calvary, and Pentecost. So as soon as the rock was smitten and the people had appropriated the water, Amalek appeared. Did you ever think about that before? Amalek didn't appear before this. But when they come to this place, they appeared. But not until the water was given, picturing the spirit. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, Galatians 5 verse 17. The unsaved person has one nature. It's a sinful nature. That's the way we were born, with one sinful nature within us. So there's really no conflict. But the two natures of the Christian are in constant conflict. Because when we're born of the Spirit, we get a new nature. And by the way, let me emphasize this, we sin in the old nature. We can't sin in the new nature because a new nature is born of God. We sin in the old nature. That's the problem. That, that, that's the difficulty. So we're, we're getting places here. Here's a parable of a spiritual experience. In other words, after the believer has tasted the spiritual food from heaven, that is Christ incarnate, and drunk of the spiritual rock, that's Christ crucified. The water as the emblem of the spirit. The spiritual warfare begins. And the moment a man or woman is born of the spirit of God, gets that new nature within, the conflict begins. You think of the story of Rebecca. Uh, Genesis chapter 25, I think it is around verse 20, 22. She's expecting uh, a child she, she wondered what was going on because there was a struggle in her womb. She didn't realize she was expecting twins. The Bible tells us, and the children struggled together within her. There were two nations, according to what God said to, uh, to uh, Rachel. There are two nations within you. There's Jacob and Esau. The, the spiritual descendant and the fleshly representative man with the old sinful nature and that's the way it is this is, something, this is not uh, something that's new this has been the continuation of the old struggle between the elder and the younger between Esau and Jacob just as Ishmael mocked Isaac son of promise Esau mocked Jacob so now Amalek came 
against a newborn nation. That was a newborn nation, redeemed by blood. Then I've got to come to an end. Who the enemy is. I thought about that when the enemy came. And then where the enemy came. Amalek fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now this particular place is mentioned five times in the Bible. It was a place in the desert, of course. And the word actually means rests or stays or resting places. So the attack took place when Israel was resting. We rest in thee. And then thy name may go. So the devil doesn't like us resting in Christ. So he comes. Just the way he came through Amalek so long ago. Came to the people who were resting. Are you resting in Christ tonight? You can be absolutely sure. If you are, Amalek will come. And he will turn your day into night if he can. And your joy into sorrow. He will do that because he's good at it. Amalek did not attack Israel till they got to this resting place. After eating the manna and drinking the rock. They were content now. When their needs were being met. Just then they came. The old nature gives the believer no peace. So as Israel traveled through the wilderness. Many of the, the old and the infirm and the weak, they fell to the rear and were left to keep up as best as they could. Deuteronomy 25. I'm not going to turn your attention to it now, but it's Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 through 19. And as a result of this, the older generation, you know the way it is, you get to a certain age, you just can't do things you used to do and you lag behind everybody else and so on. You, you, you can identify with these people. And so the camp of Israel stretches out for many miles through the desert. The Amalek took an advantage of the situation and attacked and smote the hindermost of thee. The hindermost. Now, that word is found a couple of times in the Bible here and in Joshua chapter 10, 19. And it's from a root to wag. Think of a dog wagging its tail. Okay. Wag. That's the word. And the margin has it, and attack the rear ranks to smite the tail. It's not interesting. So here is a kind of guerrilla warfare. Here is a, a stealth attack, an unsuspecting attack upon the people of God. And they're attacking the old and the aged and uh, mothers with children and so on. And Moses is telling us, they attacked your rear, rear ranks or smite the tail. The tail and dog is at the back end, isn't it? So they, they pulled a sneak attack and they came near. And that's the reason why Christians, and Jesus said this to his disciples, watch and pray lest ye enter into temptation. Watch and pray. Because the devil will come and attack those who are not close who are lagging behind, who may be on the borderland, the enemy knows where you're at, and he will aim his attacks against that kind of person. Wagging the tail. Next time you see a dog wagging the tail, learn from the word. Get up in close 
be in the place you need to be with, with the Lord. So it's no, it was no secret that Israel walked out of Egypt laden down with wealth. And, and the peoples knew this. And maybe that was one of the reasons why Amalek decided to come for the wealth. And the devil wants to steal our riches in Christ. Ephesians 1 talks about these, uh, these spiritual blessings we have. And he wants to rob the people of enjoying these blessings. And uh, maybe they came for the water. This was a good area. Now they have the water there. This would be a good thing for them to have. They didn't want to share the land with the Israelites. They maybe thought they would be staying here now and they would need to step in and, and claim the water for themselves. I don't know exactly what was going on, but the point is this. They came. This was Israel's first battle. They never had a battle to fight before this. They were inexperienced with it. And that's why Joshua was in hand with the sword. Wonderful type of Jesus Christ wielding the sword of the spirit to fend off the enemies of his own believing people oh don't we see things here tonight that ought to thrill us and at the same time words to warn us then came Amalek and fought with Israel now Pharaoh and Amalek are two reminders of the two powers that influence Christians Pharaoh is a reminder of Satan because he tried to keep the Israelites in slavery. Just as Satan tries to keep God's people enslaved in sin, or keep people enslaved in sin, Amalek seeks to keep the Christians from enjoying their blessings in Christ. Israel didn't attack Amalek. Amalek attacked Israel. That's deeply significant as well. The flesh will come and attack you. No respecter of persons. The new nature delights in God and loves to commune with him and his word. That's the only answer. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. We'll come back again to think about some of the other verses next time in the will of the Lord. Let's just bow for a time of prayer and I'll talk to you for a few minutes at the end of the prayer time. And we'll seek the Lord together now. And please, if you can, join in as many people as possible. Ladies as well as the men folk, young and old. Let's have a good volume of prayer tonight. You may not pray long, it doesn't really matter. As long as it comes to my heart, let's all pray together. We'll ask uh, Mr. McIntyre, Brother Albert, to pray. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Let's all pray.